Occasional OSR October, Day 6. More tips for players. Regarding cannon fodder. I had promised today that I was going to read you a point with this primer that I don't agree with. I'm going to read it out loud first, and then we'll talk about why I think it's uh, misleading. Number 7. Hire some cannon fodder. Don't let the cannon fodder start to view you as a weak source of treasure. To dive into this one, we first have to think about two types of retainers in an OSR-type game. First, you have your henchmen, and uh, I'm pulling these terms out of my backside. There's, I don't know if there's an official guide, but the first type is henchmen. Henchmen will typically demand a share of the treasure. They will go into the dungeon with you. They will fight monsters. Uh, poke traps with 10-foot poles, or perform skills or spells that the party is lacking. They fill out and flesh out the party ranks, so that module that says six to eight player characters, and you only have four friends, you fill them out with these hirelings. The second type, we'll call them retainers, these are cheaper. They cost one to five gold pieces, depending on their equipment. You are typically expected to provide food, sometimes board, uh, depending on circumstances, and you'll typically hire a bunch of them at a time. Their primary role is to accompany the group between destinations to flesh out the ranks when you're doing an overland campaign. You'll want to have these guys around when you are hex crawling because the encounter lists are going to have either bigger monsters or large groups of monsters that a party of six to eight are not going to be able to follow through. Additionally, these will make up the bulk of your followers when you get to domain level. Technically, there's a third type, specialists. They are followers in your wagon train who do a specific thing like cook or maintain armor or shoe horses but that's immaterial to the conversation. That second group of hirelings, the more abundant, more cheap men of fortune who follow around a domain lord through the hex wilderness, that's where I think this misconception originates. When you are operating at a domain tier, when you're working with a mass battle, sacrificed units may become a part of your strategy. Uh, for example, in chess, it's very common to be willing to sacrifice a knight or a bishop or a, a pawn, ideally, if it means you can take out the enemy's queen. To expand this to an OSR context, say I am a domain-level lord and it's my intent to kidnap the heir apparent for one of my, uh, for, for one of the other lords in the area who's serving as my opposition. It's okay if my lighter infantry or my peasant levies get smashed so long as that preoccupies his knights and allows my strike force to come in from behind and kidnap my target, hold them for ransom or uh, use them if they're a specialist that is uncommon to acquire for their specialized purpose, what have you. But this is thinking at a bigger level, a more abstract level, and when you're talking about blocks of soldiers, blocks of men, the morale is going to be different than when you have one or two hirelings being asked to stick their hand into a statue's mouth deep in a forbidden dungeon. On the open field, a group of men standing together 
uh, reinforce one another. The retreat or the rout only occurs when some of them start to break and it falls like a chain reaction. The discipline of their drills will keep them in line and it will, for the most part, keep them safe. You're much safer if you stand together at pikes to the enemy than you are if you bolt. Uh, now, the first man to bolt is more likely to survive than the last, so there's always that consideration. But that is a conversation for another time. Put that into perspective. The perspective of the medieval soldier standing among their fellows facing down hazards on the battlefield, those hazards are known. I can see my enemies, I've been trained to deal with my enemies, and although a cavalry charge is terrifying, uh, especially if you use the chainmail rules, which require you to roll to withstand it, it's a generally known circumstance. Compare that to, say, the farmer who's down on his luck and was brought along because the pitchfork he had with him could serve to fight from the second rank. Compare that to the mercenary who did flee and made it out and because of his cowardice is no longer welcome in many companies, but he has his armor and his shield and he's being put on the front in this dark, dangerous underground environment. In those circumstances, you don't necessarily have your fellows. You have the other party members, sure, but there's at most a dozen of you. Similarly, you don't know what the danger is. I don't like swimming in water that I can't see through in real life. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to spelunk in a place where there are actively alien foreign entities trying to kill me, going along with people who promised me a half share of whatever gold we might discover at its base. When a referee treats those hirelings the same way as you might a disciplined line of soldiers, then they do things that are contrary to their own good. They do things that are contrary to the nature of someone trying to survive in the underworld. Referees on forums everywhere love to complain about players trying to use hirelings as cannon fodder. Now, in part, it is important to flesh out the ranks, and that mercenary with his sword and board, he should expect to be in the front. That's what he signed up for. However, don't expect him to hang back and sacrifice himself so that the rest of you can run away. That doesn't make sense in context. If you do run away, will he move slower because of his armor? Maybe. That might be something you consider when hiring mercenaries. That was an accidental death. We tried to retreat, he just got caught. Hazard the trade. I could see that working once or twice, but if it becomes a habit, other mercenaries may hear about it, and uh, we're not sure that the half share, full share, or share and a half that you're offering is worth it, because other folks offered the same didn't come back with anything. This is mechanically supported in OSR versions of the game, where hireling loyalty is generated. When a new hireling joins the group, the referee is expected to, in secret, roll a loyalty score. This is a 3d6 value, same as every other ability, but for the hireling, it will determine how loyal they are to the party who hired them. 
they will be more willing to do dangerous things. They will be more willing to stand in the line and less likely to betray the party to imminent hazard for their own purposes. When does that come up? Well, whenever you roll morale. Well, morale is one of those things that an experienced referee will instinctively know when to roll, but I recommend reading Chainmail to really grok. In Chainmail, there are a handful of situations where morale influences the behavior of troops. Now, I just said that in the dungeon is different than on the field. However, the on-the-field rules can be applied in principle to unit behavior where the party represents the unit. If you are being charged by cavalry, there is a rule to stand your ground. Similarly, if a cavalry-sized monster is charging, bearing down on you, say, a uh, boulet, uh, rhinoceros, whatever, then roll that check. In mass combat, if a unit takes a certain percentage of its number in casualties, it has to roll to see if the unit dissipates as the troopers break and run. That same can be applied in the dungeon if one or two other hirelings, or maybe players, m members of the party, fall, the hirelings are more likely, the hirelings should be called on to roll morale. Finally, not necessarily finally in the game, but finally that I'm going to talk about, there is a somewhat mathematical process regarding post-melee morale. When two lines of fighters are coming up against one another, the casualties inflicted are taken into account, the weight, so to speak, of armor against one another is taken into account, and the numbers are taken into account, and it produces a value which can allow the combat to continue, cause one side to retreat or rout, or, in extreme cases, surrender. This is important to think about because if you come up against a group of enemies, those enemies losing 10, 15, 20 percent of their number, they may break. Uh, simultaneously, if you take down a handful of them and they're unable to return the favor, they may break regardless. Uh, this can apply to hirelings as well. If the fight seems hopeless, as indicated by the results of the combat, they may be more inclined to retreat. A morale check may be required or appropriate. So, I don't want to discount the value of hirelings, and I don't want to suggest that the hireling should be a disloyal jerk every time. That represents the other end of the spectrum, where you have an adversarial ref as opposed to the adversarial player. But think about how the soldier of fortune involved would react in the situation presented. Put a couple guys with spears in the party, they'll fight from the second rank. Put a couple torchbearers with slings in the party, they will pepper the enemy with missiles. Put a couple heavy guys in the front, they will stand their ground so long as you stand with them. Treat henchmen in the dungeon as fellow players. They aren't players. They are non-player characters. Uh, referees may allow players to control them directly. I do. Adds a fun element to the game. But the moral of the story, find the happy middle way. 
Some hirelings will perish. Some player characters will perish. But so long as everybody comes out, well, not everybody, but so long as most of you come out and there's treasure to go around, shouldn't be too hard to convince other brave souls, or perhaps just greedy ones, to dive into the depths with your party. So, I guess the too long didn't listen version, I'll put it here at the end so you have to have listened to get it. Treat your retainers differently according to the context, and as a referee, consider how they would react as characters, and as a player, consider how they would be motivated, how they would react if they were another player. At the end of the day, that will produce a better experience, and one more in line with the spirit of the movement. I've been yammering on for a while now. I was trying to keep these episodes a little shorter, but between now and when we talk next, tell me about your hireling stories. Do you have memorable NPCs that started out as nameless cannon fodder? Do you have the experience of coming into the party as a new player by taking over a hireling? Tell me about hirelings in your games. Again, not sure when the call-out episode's going to come out, because I'm doing something every day and I'm trying not to double-dip, but I will love to hear about it, and I'd love to learn from your experience. The same way, I hope that other folks will benefit when I project mine across these airwaves. Looking forward to it. And between now and tomorrow, when I talk to you again, delve on. Square Ring Mail Podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C, retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit free sound effects license. Clear Square Ring Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clear Square Ring Mail Podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clear Square email at the prescribed methods provided on the Clear Square email blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.